when it comes to the social layer, the barriers were still in place. Twitter was still a closed platform. Um, even though it's one of the bigger social medias, it's still pretty exclusive. We know there was censorship, censorship issues on it, um, or just the barrier of language, it, it could be as well. With Nostr, you're applying an open protocol the same way that with Bitcoin, you were applying an open protocol to finance, to fiat. Now you're applying an open protocol to social networks. And thanks to that, you can plug into a much more open and distributed network of people that again could get exposed to whatever project you're doing. So from our perspective, it's really, it's a no brainer that if you take open financial networks and open social networks, you can achieve a much better implementation of crowdfunding than whatever current fiat uh, crowdfunding platforms are able to do. And we're just at the very, very beginning of, of what that means. Hello, guys. Welcome to Bitcoiner, the podcast for Bitcoiners from El Salvador and to the world. Today, we have the great pleasure to talk with Estelios Ramos. So first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for your time and, and welcome. Thank you, Juan. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, and this is going to be so amazing. Every time that every every episode, it's it's so amazing. I love to every time to meet a new new Bitcoiner. So uh, first of all, maybe we can start uh, talking about your a little bit about your background. So our audience, because this, as I mentioned before, um, recording and start recording the podcast. Uh, this is for. Spanish uh, community and also Salvadorians and uh, to get start to get to know uh, more Bitcoiners. So maybe people uh, they don't know your your background. So if we could start there, maybe talking about your what are you from, what do you study, then we will continue on that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, um, as you said, I'm Stelios Ramos, I'm the co-founder of Geyser, and my background goes uh, a bit all over the place. Really, uh, I've been. I was raised in a very um, you know, cross-cultural family, my father being Greek, my mother being Belgian. I oh, was cool. raised, born and raised in Belgium, uh, lived my whole life there, but kind of impregnated within the Greek culture that uh, was brought from Greece into Belgium. That, that's something, if, uh, if any Greeks are, are listening to this or even just expats in general, they might be familiar with that scenario. You're, you're living Which... abroad, but you're living in which sort of which part of Belgium? Sorry to interrupt. Which part of Belgium? Um, I, I was near the center, near Brussels, um, oh, south okay. in the speaking part. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I went to an international school. So just from very young age, I was exposed to these all these different cultures, uh, all these different backgrounds. And um, yeah, after that, I went on to study my bachelor in uh, knowledge engineering and data science in the University of Maastricht, mm -hmm. south of Netherlands. Um, that's actually where I got introduced for the first time to Bitcoin. Um, I think it was my end of my first beginning of second year of university. Uh, a very good friend of mine just said, Hey, I, I've been, you know, I've been looking into this at the time as a student, I was basically looking for some income. So I was not approaching Bitcoin at all from, from any of the economics side or sound money or anything that, you know, going down the rabbit hole, you, you get into this this path 
but at the beginning it was just okay there's this cool thing I'm, I'm studying uh technical you know i'm doing technical studies uh this is a cool field maybe i can i can make some money out of that and my friend at the time was one of the early miners of litecoin so before the whole bitcoin mm -hmm. journey he had gotten into litecoin he had mined a bunch of it made some money out of it and then tried to, to start this bitcoin mining operation um and so yeah i got curious i started looking into this um that was in my second year of university uh after that it was it was kind of like like they say you have the bug right you're you're kind of you've bitten uh you, you've eaten the forbidden fruit you start opening your eyes to to new realities new things new perspectives on the world and 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 down you go down that rabbit hole that uh you never come out uh back and basically yeah. yeah that was the beginning of my of my bitcoin journey but it was not it was not like a flip of the finger right it was very very slow um and i i did what a lot of people did just get into cryptocurrency first mm. right and start looking broadly into the things that exist into um you know other i was very ideologically driven i i knew that technology was something that could change the world and so after being in it a little bit for the money i started discovering the technology and then i started chasing more of what could this do for the world um and paradoxically that took me away from bitcoin right that was something that at the time so around 20 we're talking 2016 2017 um there was not as much material online as as there is now right the whole sound money the whole you know sound economics austrian economics uh seyfadina moose his book wasn't even out right so all these all this knowledge that we've accumulated as as bitcoiners none of that existed um and so being ideologically driven that was not as accessible and the cryptocurrency world being much more vocal about certain things i got drawn into that world and so for about a year a year and a half i was juggling between my studies that had nothing to do with anything bitcoin related um and then this new world that kept drawing me into it and at the end of my bachelor um i took a year off i, I wanted to, to look for some work but really, I think I was lying to myself. I, I really just wanted to take a deeper dive into what I knew at the time was cryptocurrencies. Um, but very quickly after that, I converged back into Bitcoin. I came across Seyfedin's book. I, I read that. I was bitten by the economic side. I was bitten by the philosophical side, by the, the social impact that Bitcoin can have, right? And so... At that point, I was really puzzled. I wanted to do something that was related to it. Uh, and having a technical background, knowing a little bit of programming, Python at the time, that was something that I knew I could start playing with. Um, and out of luck, around that same period of time, the Lightning Network was just coming out. It was something around 2017, 2018. It started really uh, growing. By that time, 2019, it was already not as adopted as you see today uh it was something still very very new that even bitcoiners didn't know about but it made um as a developer for myself it made it even more accessible than bitcoin it was something that 
you know, using uh, the LNURL protocol, for example, I could start building from the get-go with nothing but a node on my little Raspberry Pi. Right? I didn't need anything. I didn't need any any knowledge of cryptography. I didn't even need to know the protocol that well. I could just start tinkering with it. And that's something that, you know, it, being sort of new to any field, you're looking for guidance. You're looking for the people that have that sort of knowledge. And around that time was also when I got a lot more familiar with that side of Bitcoin Twitter, just the, the developer side, the, all the Telegram groups that in itself is just uh, a new journey, right? New down the, the rabbit hole of if any any developer is listening right now and thinking how can I you know get started that's the gold mine of information and some of the best bitcoiners you'll you'll ever meet there they're the builders they are the people that make things happen and they are so so generous with their time and so at the time I was basically drawn into uh lightning development and after playing around a little bit with the protocol I thought well okay um you know, I've been doing some side projects, some things outside of Bitcoin, some things, um, some analytics of the lightning graph coming from a data science background. That was sort of my, my perspective on this world, just analysis, the lightning graph, it spoke to me. It was something that I could get my hands dirty with, but I was drawn by the application side of things. Well, this technology needs to be used, right? It needs to be put into the hands of people that maybe don't know anything about it, but they want to start playing with it. And what the result of that sort of thinking process was at the time was being very present on Twitter, seeing a lot of Bitcoin Twitter, seeing a lot of lightning Twitter and seeing giveaways, right? I was seeing these tweets that say, hey, I've just discovered the lightning network. Um, this technology is really cool i think you should try it out so drop me a lightning invoice in the comments of, of the tweet and i'll pay out the first 100 let's say and i think that might be uh, one of the best ways that you can onboard someone just to show them a QR code you know i'm giving you money right like if you just make that tiny little bit of effort uh you're gonna have 100 sets in your wallet and by doing that you're you're gonna start learning what's a wallet even if custodial, right? Like, what is this thing? And your curiosity is sort of heat. And so I thought that's that's fantastic, right? I, I love this. Um, and being sort of the problem solving mindset in the problem solving mindset, I thought, uh, how do we make that scale, right? Like if you have a tweet and you say, I'm gonna pay the first 100 invoices, you actually have to sit down, you have to scan all the invoices, you have to pay them one by one. Um, and I was thinking that's a great way to, to, to give away and to onboard people, but how many invoices are you actually uh, going to pay? And so that was my first step into developing my first lightning application at the time. It was called uh, Spark. And the whole idea of Spark was, let me automate this uh, completely. And so you can just assign a budget to a tweet and anyone that comments it, anyone that likes it, um, or retweets it, receives this LNURL withdrawal QR code mm -hmm. in their in their private messages, and then they can just scan it and they can get the same the same experience 
even more seamless because you just have to organically engage with the tweet and then you'll you'll get that sort of feedback um and so i did that and i, I built this little application it took me way too long the code is messy as hell but <laughs> maybe i will open source it one day since uh, nobody's actively working on it anymore and you, it could probably be done a lot better on on Nostr right now than than mm -hmm. on Twitter, but at the time it was a great way to both get familiar with it and and get a few people to to play with lightning and giveaways. That's so cool. That's so cool. Actually, uh, I'm really happy because you're the first pers person that have the same background that I have. <laughs> this is the way that I uh, discovered Bitcoin. Yeah, and so I was like, finally, so. <laughs> Because uh, I studied engineering also, uh, um, what's it called, uh, industrial management engineer. And uh, yeah, so actually I was in the university the first time that I, that I discovered Bitcoin. And uh, well, I, I have uh, shared this story <laughs> so many times here, but I'm going to tell you because you, you need to know uh, that um, I, I discovered Bitcoin actually because we had... Uh, 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 one of one of the topics that we studied was blockchain. So and uh, I didn't see it uh, as you and talking about uh, developing or or code, uh, but uh, more like how it could be uh, a better way to process the information and data into the into a blockchain. You know, so uh, but it was more that uh, focus on blockchain, no no more no that related to bitcoin but still it was related to bitcoin and uh, but uh i think that my teacher was still or as, as you mentioned there were not much information as now we have so i think it was quite difficult to explain especially uh for us uh you know the i don't know the use cases of, of blockchain because it was everything more like uh, abstract you know so companies that were still in the early process to adopting blockchains not to make cryptos more like processing data mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah so for me i i didn't like that much uh it, i leave it there but then um uh, like i think it was in 2017 2018 um my sister was living in australia and then came back here and uh, one day we were talking about bitcoin and, and she studied economics so i, I was um, i first thought but i i thought that bitcoin was related to to, te to technology <laughs> engineering not to not to economics right so why she's not an engineer so how how did she know about bitcoin and uh, we started talking about bitcoin and uh, she gave me a whole different uh, focus that I had. And I was like, mm, okay, this is, this is way different. But, uh, you know, the, the main thing that convinced me into uh, studying more and get in, more into the rabbit hole journey, it was that by that time, my sister was talking with my, with my dad about Bitcoin and my dad is a doctor, you know? So, and he grew up in the more traditional way of economics, but uh, he also studied, uh, he made a course a, a long time ago about finance. And when he knew about Bitcoin, he he jumped right away into the rabbit hole journey. So I was like, hmm, 
okay, here's something. <laughs> because if my dad is, is that interested in Bitcoin and also my sister, so I, I need to figure out why. And I started studying. And here I am <laughs> a couple of years. Orange people like, by your own family. That's, that's fantastic. I yeah, so that's I, uh, it's, it's usually the other way around, right? It's like you, you go down that lonely path and then you, you try to bring your family on board and they're like, what, what is he talking about? <laughs> Yeah, actually, and, and it's funny because they, they actually somehow orange pilled me <laughs> instead of orange pilled them. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that was um, that was my blowing for me, and I think that's that was one of my first aha moments. And then uh, I also read the Bitcoin Standard from Saifedin, and that was for me that was it. That was my aha moments. And, a lot of yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so uh, I, I want to ask you that if, if you had, or when, do you remember when was your aha moment uh, or do you have in your old process, uh, like several aha moments that convinced you? And and uh, when was, if you remember, when, when was the moment that you switched uh, from cryptos to fully Bitcoin? It was, it was a gradual process, but if I have to pinpoint one really turning point, uh, and I think a lot of people might relate, including you, is the Bitcoin standard. Um, at the time, I was really, so I was in this in this period where I didn't really know what I, I wanted to do. Um, I had this sort of interest in, in one direction. Um, I liked software engineering more and more, so I wanted to move towards software engineering. And, and I kind of just stumbled upon that book that so many people recommended. At some point, you just say, okay, I, I need to sit down and actually read this right uh and i remember at the time i was in greece i was spending some some holidays there with my family so i had quite a bit of free time and from morning to night i just had that book in my hand reading the whole thing in one go um it's not a particularly complex book mm -hmm. but if you're new to economics there's a lot of new ideas in there that you, you sometimes just pause and you think wow okay I, I didn't know that um and it, it opens this new door that then later on you know you get these sort of mental hooks and later on everything starts making more and more and more sense um and as i mentioned earlier my motivation for a lot of this was driven by the belief that technology has an outsized impact on the development of the human species Let's say uh, as a as a species, we we move forward in like almost exponential steps every time there's a breakthrough in technology, mm -hmm. and so everything I was doing in terms of what I what I wanted to work on and and what sort of um, interest and skills I wanted to develop, it was always with the mindset of how can I leverage that to have whatever outsized uh, impact I can in in my lifetime. Right. This was sort of my, my North Star. And so I often approach that from the technological standpoint and, and discarded all the rest. So I discarded anything that was politics, anything that was, you know, law, medicine. None of those fields were really um, interesting to me because of that reason. And that sort of blocked me off from understanding Bitcoin from an early, early point of view. As mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, when you have a technical background, you're actually, I think, at a disadvantage when it comes to Bitcoin, because you have an understanding or some assumptions 
of how technology should behave, right? And and this sort of tendency to overgeneralize and to say, yeah, it's not Bitcoin, it's blockchain, right? And there's all these applications around blockchain. And there's the scalability issues of Bitcoin. And there's the, you know, perhaps the privacy problem. So that's the thing. So, sorry to interrupt, but that's the thing, guys, that actually blockchain is not a new technology. It's an old technology. <laughs> and even so... Yeah, it's been a quite uh, a while, but what for my perspective is that I think Bitcoin uh, used blockchain for what it is, right? So it was built to be in purpose that slows to be secure and more, but actually blockchain is not like that revolutionary like other cryptos uh, people want to sell it, right? Exactly, exactly. From a technological standpoint, it's mm -hmm. boring. Right, <laughs> it's cool. There's some cool cryptography. There's proof of work was the the real innovation, but that's that. Mm -hmm. Right, once mm -hmm. proof of work was also framed as this polluting waste of of energy, that was that. Right, from a from a science and from a researcher point of view, Bitcoin was no longer that interesting. I think for for the majority. Um, yeah. In fact, my last experience in terms of the academic world around in computer science after that year of hiatus i went on to do a, a master in computer science at the university of amsterdam um, and i was looking forward to it i was already fully into bitcoin at the time uh, i wanted to go into university learn more about computer science and learn and show and see rather how many fellow students are interested in this and where i was expecting the majority of people to know about it, understand it, and and seek more, it was the total opposite. It was the preconceptions about Bitcoin had taken over, uh, taken over the general understanding of what Bitcoin was, and going just the tech, looking at it just from the technology lens, there was no interest. And I just had one course on distributed algorithms, mm -hmm. where one lecture was mentioning Bitcoin. And it was mentioning it in terms almost as a historical fact, right? Like this is what happened. There was a cool breakthrough in terms of, you know, putting forward technology, uh, the, the blockchain technology and its first sort of experiment around it. And now what's next is Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And you could almost feel me face palming just listening to the, <laughs> to the lecture, trying to take that seriously because it felt it felt so backwards uh, to be looking at it from that lens. And again, yeah. it's something that makes sense from a technological perspective. Yeah. You can't understand Bitcoin just by looking at the technology. It's it's multidimensional, yeah. right? And as, as you experienced, you got orange pilled from the economic side. And for me, it was the same, right? It was learning about what is money what is the history of money? What is what is wrong with money? What are the good properties of money? And what can be done if we fix money that then I could understand, okay, Bitcoin is a solution mm. and the best, probably most realistic path towards a solution that we have. Um, and that was just Bitcoin. We haven't even talked about Lightning, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. But we will talk about Lightning. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, actually, before uh, ask you to uh, about Geyser and and also Lightning because they are related and also Nostr. <laughs> and uh, 
any advice for anyone that because I have a lot a lot of people that uh, friends and people that I have met through this path that are developers and they somehow want to uh, actually start um, I don't know like discovering or testing uh, the Lightning networks. So, but how maybe an advice of how they can start uh, if a developer or or even a person that is not a developer but want to start just to I don't know to start in the developing stuff. Uh, how what is the first step to get into this path and to learn about lining? I think because uh, this is one of the best cases for for use Bitcoin. I mean, what is I think the fastest layer, if not yeah, probably uh, or liquid, right? I don't know. Well. You'll tell me, but what what will be the first step to to start this path? Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a great question, and I can only relate to my own experience of going through that journey. Since, as most people will know, and as we discussed just now about academics, academia, um, there's not very many paths, traditional paths, that will take you down Bitcoin and Lightning development. Um, the, it's a lonely journey. But it doesn't have to be a lonely journey because this, the, the community of developers around Bitcoin is huge. And, and it's maybe not as big as others, but it's very principled and very encouraging from my own experience. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when I first got into this, this craze about wanting to develop something on, on Lightning, my go-to place was all the Telegram groups about LNURL, mm. about you know, all these these new ways that you could build applications using this new form of money that was Bitcoin with very little um, setup, right? So my first my first uh, step into this was to run an LNBits instance and to use that as my backend for the application that I was running. So I didn't even mm. need, let's say, I didn't even need to do any lightning management. I was just calling some APIs and that was, that was that, but it allowed me to get a feel for it and to see what, what can be done, right? You can do it on mainnet. You can just start an application, generate an invoice, pay from your wallet. And just like that, you get that feeling that I will never forget. It's, it's instant. It makes you feel like you just did what, uh, you know, PayPal has spent billions of dollars in developing a functional payment layer for fiat and you've just done that with a little instance running on your computer and it can still be going across the world right you can still zap that value from europe to latin america or, or wherever else in the world very cheaply and, and instantly so my recommendation is surround yourself with other developers that are like-minded and maybe have walked the path that you've walked and have answers to some of your questions. Uh, get that form of mentorship wherever you can and then build that first simple application that will give you this feel for it. And from there, it's just a matter of keep, you know, keep, doing, keep doing steps in that direction. Um, and I would add that at the time, Lightning applications could be counted on on two hands, maybe. There were so little Lightning applications. The infrastructure around Lightning was still fairly new. Um, mm -hmm. Now you have so much. 
you, you have so much to go into. You can use you can use so many APIs even if if you don't want to handle the, the Lightning side. Because I think eventually you get to it. Eventually you run your own nodes, you you run, you know, you have your own channels. Um and that's that's the endpoint that you want to get to if you are interested in lightning development. But as a first step, there's a lot of easier ways. Okay, cool. And uh, okay, I think that now it's time to ask you for uh, about the main project that your co-founder, uh, Geyser. So maybe people don't know what is Geyser. So if you could explain what is that and um, what are the, I'm going to, to be the, I'm going to give a, a little, uh, uh, how you can say it, tip or about about what it is because um, what is the main what is the main thing of, about Geyser and what are the advantages compared to the traditional way of funding people? I'll give you the short answer and then we'll get into the the longer answer afterwards. Perfect. Because there's a lot to cover. <laughs> In one sentence, you could say. Uh, Geyser is just a crowdfunding platform that processes payments in Bitcoin and Lightning. Uh, so you can think of, maybe you're familiar with Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Um, mm -hmm. These are the traditional finance crowdfunding platforms. We are doing what they're doing, but we're doing it on Bitcoin. We're using Lightning and that gives us certain immediate advantages. Um, the, the first immediate advantage is that it's global. Right from from day one, we launched Geyser, and without any additional work, without any additional banking partnership or lawyers or anything, we were available in practically every country in the world. Right, so that was the first step. And now, wh why that was important is because crowdfunding is not available uh, everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. It's available mainly in the West, Europe. Um, North America, Australia, and then maybe some some Asian countries. And that's it, right? If you want to launch your Kickstarter uh, campaign and you're based in Nigeria or you're based um, in, in El Salvador, you don't have access to that financial tool. Yeah. There are alternative tools, but they operate very, very locally. So they don't give you access to this global world and, and value exchange that that exists with Bitcoin. So that was the very the very key point of using Bitcoin was being global from day one. The second aspect was the fact that because we didn't have to do these banking partnerships, because we didn't have to go to Stripe or to PayPal or to Visa, we don't have any of these payment processing fees. We don't have to comply to what they want or where they operate. Again, we're, we can operate globally and we can charge much less fees to the creators. And so that allows us from one hand to be global, from the other hand to charge much less fees than, than traditional platforms. And in terms of competing with them, those are two, two main advantages. Um, but it's much more than that. But what we realized the more we interacted with our users and with the creators on the platform that are still the majority are Bitcoin creators, but the more we realized that there's, there's a new way that crowdfunding is evolving. 
this traditional um, approach to crowdfunding that let's say Kickstarter has where you have a one month uh, campaign you raise for, for some specific, it's all or nothing and the funds mm -hmm. go back. It's missing out on one of the key aspects of crowdfunding. And that was the social element that comes from crowdfunding. Yes, people are funding you, but it's not one or two people. It's not a big investor. It's not a bank that's giving you uh, a long-term uh, donation or, or a loan. It's an actual person that is giving you a small amount of money usually, but they have that connection to the project in some way. They were drawn by what you're doing. They were maybe inspired by what you're doing and therefore they want to participate. And at the end of the day, the monetary participation is perhaps the least important one, meaning that they are the people that will spread the word about what you're doing. They are the ones that will motivate you and perhaps they will be your first users or the first people impacted by, um, by what you're building. And so thinking about the model, the way Kickstarter was doing it, you're missing out on that whole element because once you're done, you move out, you do your projects, or if you're, if you fail, that's it, right? You don't keep a connection. And the first, um, the first feature that we wanted to add on top of what was existing was this social interaction. Uh, it was this idea that when you donate, you want to make that publicly visible. Maybe you want to add a comment to it. You want to add a, a GIF to it. And you want to connect through some social layer that doesn't exist in the current uh, platform. Now, at the time, yeah, about a year ago when we started that, uh, Nostra was <laughs> existed but was nowhere near uh, where it's at today. And so Twitter was where, where things were happening, and we plugged into Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. that was the social layer that, that was added to the platform. Cool. And uh, talking about Nostra, uh, now you're using it. And uh, uh, it's a question <laughs> if you're using it. And then, uh, I don't know, for me, Nostra is like really, really, really good because as, as you mentioned, it's, it's you can zap. They have, for people don't maybe don't know or haven't discovered yet, Nostra is like Twitter, basically, but it's, it's made on Bitcoin. And uh, you can sap people to support their. Okay, how, how can you call it? Normally we say tweets, but in Nostra, what are what are they? Their notes. Someone... Their notes. Okay, so, um, for example, like creators like like Lena, Lena, Lena Saj, the, the mother of of the little hodler, uh, she recently joined Nostra and talked about the world. Uh, I I think. Uh, she posted one of her comics, and people were instantly supporting her. And uh, even me, when I when I joined uh, Nostra, people supporting me it was like in instant access, right? So, and uh, do you think uh, that uh, I don't know how to how, how to make this question, but like uh, if you can onboard more more creators using both things i think like geyser and also noster because the donation are inlining right so basically it's instant mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a great question and i would frame it from 
to me, what, what's happening with Nostra now is very similar to what happened with Bitcoin and Lightning. It's all about taking the existing platforms, the, the, the financial tools, right? Crowdfunding is a financial tool. It's the same thing as being able to go to the bank and get a loan, but it's an alternative way to finance your projects, your initiative, or your NGO. The existing platforms were very siloed. They had barriers around them, both financial barriers, which is the fiat world that, again, you need to be part of the fiat world to participate, and the social barriers, which was limiting the user base, the crowd of crowdfunding, limited to the platform users, be that Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or any of those. And that's paradoxical in a sense, because you know that crowdfunding comes from an, a large number of people being exposed to your project, right? It's the more people can get familiar with, with what you're doing, the more the higher the chances that you receive some funding. So taking down first the financial barrier that was Bitcoin naturally exposed more people to the project because all of a sudden there was a way bigger number of users that could actually fund it. Right? They didn't need to be uh, in that financial system. And to give you a sort of statistic from, from our own platform and what we're seeing, there's actually 50% of projects on the platform that are in areas of the world where crowdfunding was not available. So the large, large percentage of that 50% is Latin America and Africa, and the rest is, is Asia. That to us was also pretty eye-opening because up to that point we were just theorizing okay that's not available in those in those parts of the world but would people actually want to use it right is there is there a demand for this and it turns out that uh, yeah absolutely there is demand for it because people all over the world have good ideas have good intentions and they want to build they want to create the, that's not reserved to the west Right. That is uh, a human property that you want to create and human creativity exists all over the world. And so that barrier was taken down thanks to Bitcoin and Lightning. When it comes to the social layer, the barriers were still in place. Twitter was still a closed platform, um, even though it's one of the bigger social medias, it's still pretty exclusive. We know there was censorship censorship issues on it, um, or just the barrier of language, it, it could be as well. With Nostr, you're applying an open protocol the same way that with Bitcoin, you were applying an open protocol to finance, to fiat. Now you're applying an open protocol to social networks. And thanks to that, you can plug into a much more open and distributed network of people that again could get exposed to whatever project you're doing. So from our perspective, it's really, it's a no brainer that if you take open financial networks and open social networks, you can achieve a much better implementation of crowdfunding that whatever current fiat uh, crowdfunding platforms are able to do. And we're just at the very, very beginning of, of what that means. Cool, yeah. Actually, uh, I was thinking that about the two things, actually. One, that 
somehow that it's a way that uh, I was thinking about the, the poor areas are not quite uh, developed in Latin America areas, or even even El Salvador. Um, because actually, it's really funny that uh, the when it's, we know when all started in El Sante was because basically surfer didn't have access to an ATM machine, right? So it was like five miles away, and um, when uh, well, it's a whole story that. But the the thing is that because of that necessity, um, the the surfers they start using uh, strike actually, and uh, one day uh jack meyer saw that they he has like a lot of uh downloads in his app because they were using it in old santa and uh, thanks to that um uh, old santa grew up in their bitcoin circular economy right and and then well history happened and, and then we had bitcoin as a legal tender but that is one of the main examples that uh when you don't have uh like the traditional financial services you can start using bitcoin and grow a, a small community right and to basically uh, not just bring back the the financial services to to bitcoin but also make it grow and and mm -hmm. make that area to they were poor because they didn't have access to the financial uh services as banking services um thanks to bitcoin uh you can grow your own economy right and actually i was talking with gabby vivas that she's a venezuelan girl and uh, she talked to me about one of these projects that were in uh, venezuela that it was like a poor family actually that they start a small farm but uh, in in venezuela and they managed to they were like poor and uh, but thanks to bitcoin they start to they they start to have more support on their project and even that they had this family had i think she told me like three kids and the older one start learning about bitcoin and brought more people and so they grew up their farm and even they managed to educate more people on bitcoin so it's it's really amazing right how bitcoin can help you to to one escape from the fiat system to that uh, you can have your own banking system in your in basically in your phone in your custodian or even your ledger if you want to use a cold wallet uh, but it's, it's really pow powerful and again as you mentioned it's instant right especially with lightning and that, that's a very important point I, I think it's worth uh, reiterating on that that yes it takes you into this new financial world um but it's more than the money right it's more than exactly. if you launch your projects on geyser or on on nostril if you post a note if you receive even one satoshi one satoshi is very very little in terms of purchasing power you're not going to do much with one satoshi but what's very powerful about it is that it's one person that sent you one satoshi you're not just part of a new financial system it's bitcoin and the the reason um or the advantage of being able to transact so freely 
is that it allows you to be seen where before you couldn't be seen. Mm. It's it's a way to connect people, not just financially, but but socially, as I mentioned earlier. It's it's a way to participate in a global, a real global digital or not economy. Um, and, and that to me is very powerful. And we've seen that over and over with, with projects on Geyser as well. People that start their project that nobody really knows them, right? There is, there is a proof of work that you have to do to show that, that you're doing it. But there is this sense of equal opportunity in, in, in the sense that if you start your project on Geyser today and you keep showing that you're doing the work and that it speaks to people the work that you're doing and they're inspired by it, the value will come. The value in terms of the people that see you, the people that acknowledge you, um, the people that you know fund you at the end of the day. But really the encouragement that you receive from being seen, I think is a lot more powerful than even one Satoshi or a million Satoshi. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about personal experience as well, just thinking back about the time I was working on Spark where it was my very first, you know, as I mentioned, step into Lightning development. And from the get-go releasing that Lightning application, I got support by the Lightning Junkies podcast at the time, uh, by Stackmore, by Rootsoul, uh, developing the, the Raspberry Blitz. And it was just that alone, I didn't make any money from Spark, but that alone was inspiring me to continue and to continue working in that space. And as you mentioned, it's allowing people to grow their projects, not just from the financial support, but from knowing that there is a community out there that backs them, that talks about them, and that just, just the mere fact of acknowledging, yes, there's someone in Venezuela that is growing this farm, that is empowering, right? And, and that is what we need to bring to the attention uh, more and more. Also speaking about the developers, you mentioned earlier that might want to venture into take their first step of developing, tap into that social layer of Bitcoin that is so, so, so underestimated. Absolutely. No, and I totally agree because um, the, the thing is that it is not just the, the financial, it is not a financial tool because as you mentioned, there is... Uh, Normally, when you go to the traditional funding, there's like a big company or an enterprise or a banking that is supporting you. But here is people supporting audit people, right? So maybe it's not a, a project like that you're supporting, like, for example, this one, like a podcast. Maybe you're supporting, I don't know, a community that they don't have clean water and they are building something to a system that maybe that the poor community could get access to clean water or electricity right but then maybe you don't have uh, the support uh, from banks or companies or the government so this it it's amazing because in it, somehow it's changing the way that people support people directly instant peer-to-peer -peer, right <laughs> so absolutely yeah and uh okay so one thing that i want to ask you is that uh, how was I know that you went to El Salvador to adopting Bitcoin, uh, but how was your experience in, in my country? Uh, can you tell us how was your bit your Bitcoin economy, uh, circular economy there? What is the thing that you like the most of El Salvador? Not just about Bitcoin in general. 
for sure. Um, I, I'll start with Bitcoin. Right. And I'll end on a positive note. <laughs> That's right. to say, uh, what I, my, what my experience with El Salvador was that the circular economy is is nowhere near, you know, what um, one might hope. Right. It's in certain specific areas I could see Bitcoin being used. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I was there for about a month. I went there for adopting Bitcoin. And I can summarize my trip as being divided into two very, very different experiences. The first two weeks of my trip there was adopting Bitcoin, was being surrounded by Bitcoiners and people that use Lightning, going to El Zonte, going to these areas where, yes, Bitcoin is put forward. And so at, at that moment, I thought, that's incredible. That's amazing. There's so much that can be done here. And I love it. The second part of the week, uh, the second part of the trip, two, two weeks after, I spent a lot more time surrounded by just locals, uh, by people that had never heard about Bitcoin, that maybe knew of it through Bukele, uh, that liked what Bukele was doing, but really that had no um, real idea of what it was. They just knew it sort of existed and they saw it as a government thing. Yeah. The reason I started by saying Bitcoin as a bad note, let's say, and, and ending on the positive note is, is that I actually preferred the second part of the trip. Not because people didn't know about Bitcoin, but because I got to see and understand more about the Salvadorian people and understanding at a very superficial level, uh, the amount of suffering that had gone through and that's in, in the people of El Salvador and understanding the amount of change that had taken place in the last couple of months, even prior to my trip there, um, what had been done through you know, removing a lot of the criminality, a lot of the gang issues that were in El Salvador. And so speaking with the Salvadoran people, I got to understand that it's probably one of the most positive people that I've ever met that have the most positive outlook on the future because they think the worst is behind them. And for anyone living in the West, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty common that when you talk even with young people and people in my generation or, or even older or younger, um, it's a lot of doomsday talk. It's a lot about you know, climate change and how the older generations had it better. And you're looking up in the past and down in the future. You're, you're thinking that you're going to be worse off. And so speaking with people in El Salvador, I got the refreshing opposite of people <clears throat> that are looking at the future in a positive light. And that to me is going to be what enables Bitcoin to really get adopted. Because once you see Bitcoin as a positive force for the future and you have a positive outlook on the future, the two together are just additive, right? And, and to me, through the work that Bukele is doing, but also from grassroots movements or the work that Mi Primer Bitcoin is doing on the education side. And yeah, with John Dennehy. Absolutely. And his amazing team. Um, that's going to bring the foundations that you need to, to, to take that adoption forward. <clears throat> and I do, believe, uh, I do believe the Salvadorian people is one of the most open to, to that adoption.
Yeah, I agreed. And uh, one thing that uh, I, I get uh, what you said because um, I I have friends, but they are also divided, and uh, and I get both parts because the main thing is that um, back then in two thousand one we had the, the dollar. We switched to the dollar. We we previously had colon colon that it was our currency. And of course, when we switched to the dollar, uh, the savings of, of our family was divided by almost, by almost by nine. So imagine it's like a lot of money. All your savings from the, your entire life was basically gone. Uh, so I think uh, the older people and uh, maybe the young ones that, of course, they are not educated, they remember that switch. So maybe somehow they thought that uh their savings were going to be ripped mm -hmm. apart again you know um because just they say all right if one dollar was 8.5 uh columns now imagine a bitcoin <laughs> so but they of course they need to understand the the concept of the bitcoin circular economy and that's why i get that they're skeptical about uh, a new currency because we had another currency and uh, even back then was kind of the solution to um, to prevent something like what happened in the for example argentina with the corralito even even that way everything was expensive right but and and of course the dollar um, is uh, losing their value by time but we don't see that because it is really slow that process uh, so i i i get that and the other part that you mentioned is that maybe people see it or knew about bitcoin because of bukele so uh in my country because we we had a, a civil war and, and and you know back then people were from the lefties or righties and that's it <laughs> So, uh, if you maybe they politize somehow Bitcoin, okay, this is something from Bukele and uh, another a new currency, and so maybe they see it that way, and maybe that that's why they don't want to know about Bitcoin. But I think, as you mentioned, the best way to understand that is using it, uh, and we have it at, like a legal tender, so using it on a daily basis and i think people that are in need that not like us that we used to have our our banks accounts you know our financial services but the people that are in poor areas they never had this the access to, to it right so i think they are the ones that uh, they're gonna have these benefits but of course they need to understand what it is bitcoin right and um so i, I get that part of, of the politics and uh, and i know that chivo wallet is a kyc wallet uh but the main thing that bitcoin being legal tender in el salvador of, of course for us it was like a way to adopt bitcoin adopting bitcoin somehow but you don't need to use uh chivo wallet you can use any other wallet that they don't need any kyc right so I think it's a process, and I, I like the, as you mentioned, what John 
than he's doing and their team with my primer Bitcoin and all Bitcoiners that are contributing somehow in El Salvador. Uh, they they are make, they are making uh, amazing education uh, uh, projects in El Salvador. So I think it's, it's really important. And uh, I'm really conscious on our time. So I think we're going to start to to wrap it up. So maybe two questions. Uh, one is uh, any conference that you're going this year and uh, what are your goals for this year also? <laughs> yeah, conference. Um, I really look forward to Nostrasia. Uh, I was in Nostrica just recently and it mm. was one of the best conferences uh, I've been to. Not Bitcoin, but a lot of Bitcoiners. Obviously, the overlap between Austrian and Bitcoin is, is quite big. But also a lot of non-Bitcoiners that are interested now in Bitcoin because of, of Nostra. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to that and to keep exploring the synergies. And related to that, then for goals of, of the year, I mean, in terms of geyser you know we just want to keep growing keep keep having more and more projects on the platform uh keep enabling more creators to get their voice heard and and get funded and what i often say and the way i like to think about uh what we're doing what similar projects are doing is that we know bitcoin follows um, exponential adoption curves but we don't know where we are on the exponential and what is certain for me is that the only way you can accelerate this adoption is if you keep spreading little seeds all over the world that then can spur into their own circular economies and bring real grassroots uh, adoption to Bitcoin. And to anyone that's listening and that's maybe on the fence about starting a project, I would say just go for it, start, start small you might receive some satoshis you might not but you will certainly connect with people and your life might change from it and the life of a lot of other people might change for it um and together uh we'll, we'll, we can make this happen right it's bitcoin is not inevitable uh, we, we hear that a lot i think it's not inevitable but we have a very very good shot and the bitcoin as savings technology is great you can you can use that, but really as a payment layer and as a way to exchange value, it's also very powerful. And so what we often like to say is let the stats flow, let that circular economy build and be part of it. So for 2023, the goal is to make that happen and to keep growing the scale of that. Cool. And uh, one last thing where people can uh find your work or stay up to date with your everything that you're doing and if you have anything to to add so <laughs> it's welcome for sure uh yeah you can follow us on on twitter on on Nostra as well the, the account is at guys fund my, my personal account is at stelliosats free to reach out to to any of the two we're we're very open very responsive we love connecting with all the creators out there so definitely don't don't hesitate to reach out um yeah i don't have anything else to to add thank you a lot uh juan for having me and i hope people enjoy this yeah thank you so much for your time and thank you for for being here and uh share a little bit with time with with our audience <laughs> so uh thank you again and uh, see you soon <laughs>
Wikipedia. All right, guys. Thank you and see you next week. Ciao.